Almighty God, we bless you and we thank you. We thank you that those of us that are here in person and those of us that are here online, we thank you that we're still here because there are more than 500,000 people in our country that aren't. And yes, Lord, some of them were, it was a result of complications from COVID, but nevertheless, there are people that we love that aren't here anymore. Pastor Chris lost his mom. Pastor Greg lost his brother-in-law. So many times we thought we would lose Melissa and we're so thankful that she's still with us. Lord, we know, we know this thing, that you're God and we're not, and that whatever pain we experience, you will not waste our pain. Lord, I pray that you meet us where we are today, just like you did with everyone as you walked down the road, just like you did with the disciples after they had walked down the road. You meet us where we are. Sometimes you convict us, sometimes you encourage us, sometimes you correct us, and sometimes you remind us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So Lord, as we prepare to hear your word, we want it to be your word that we hear, not ours. So we thank you for the scriptures that you've revealed to us. We thank you that they still mean what they meant. We thank you that you're consistent, unchanging, immutable. And Lord, I ask that you stand in my shoes, that you give me your thoughts, you speak with my mouth, your message for us, not my message for them. And Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you would have us see hear and receive for the glory of God our Father in the name of Jesus through the power of the Spirit. Amen. So strange passage. It's not, I don't know if it's strange. I said that last, it's an unusual passage last week when we talked about clean and unclean. Um, but it, 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 in the gospel according to Mark, what I love about Mark is that he's not really worried about the chronology, the order in which things happen. He's, he wants to communicate um, different segments of Jesus' ministry in a way that not only so that we see the disciples get it and not get it, understand but not understand, um, but we see Jesus' interaction with the demonic and Jesus' inter interaction with the religious rulers of the day. Now, what we've seen thus far, except for maybe when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, that's pretty harsh. What we see so far is that Jesus has the harshest words to communicate to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the teachers of the law. But here, that kind of changes. And he has some pretty harsh words for his disciples, his closest friends, the people that walk with him everywhere. And in order to understand why, I want to take you back just a little bit. Last week, we talked about this clean and unclean that, that his disciples weren't washing their hands ceremonially before they ate. And Jesus has this diatribe and this back and forth uh, communicating to the, um, to the religious rulers and then to his disciples and close followers that it's not what happens on the outside of you that creates evil and, and that creates sin. It's what comes from the heart and what comes from the head. And so he, he was very clear on that. And, and uh, later on, a chapter later, he, tell, he warns us of the yeast of the Pharisees. That's the very thing that he was talking about, that idea that, that it's all about the ritual and not about the relationship. So that's what Jesus has started to communicate. It's not the watershed point or the change in Mark yet, but we're getting darn close when he turns and goes up to Jerusalem to face his death. Now, what happens right after that clean and unclean is he has an interaction with a Syrophoenician woman uh, 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 who the Jews called dogs, like jackal dogs or dingo dogs. They, anyone that wasn't Jewish, they did not have good words for. They, would, they saw you, you were a jackal. 
And Jesus has this interaction with this woman who wants her daughter well, and Jesus is teaching his disciples something. He's like, you can't talk to, you can't think of people who bear God's image as jackals. So he, he, he's, he's, use, he, he's, he's delivering her daughter, but he's using it to, to teach the disciples something. And then you see the healing of the deaf and mute man. And then Jesus feeds the 4,000. He'd already feed, fed the 5,000. Uh, Pastor Josh talked a little bit about that. Uh, and then the yeast of the Pharisees. And then this blind man at Bethsaida. Um, it's, one of, it's, it's, it's uncommon. It's very unusual the way Jesus did this. He did it with the dead girl. Remember the, the dead girl, the sick woman? Um, Jesus, he, he was interrupted on the way to this, to this girl who was sick. And then when he shows up, everyone's saying she's dead. And he goes, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And, and they go, yeah, whatever. So he kicks him out. And so it's just him, his, her parents, her, and a couple of his disciples. That's a private miracle. There's another one here, uh, the healing of the blind man at Bethsaida. Jesus, this man is brought to him and he takes him aside, not in the crowd. Almost all of his miracles are in the crowd. So he's restoring them to not only their body and, and their sin, you know, they're reconciled to God, but also reconciled to community. But this one, and I think the reason Mark puts it here, I think it happened, but I think the reason Mark puts it here is so that we start to clue in that something's going on with the disciples. So Jesus pulls this man aside and it says he spit in his eyes. It's not the time when he and puts a little mud. It's not one of the, It's not that one. It's like, poof. And I'd love to be driving by on a chariot and see it. No, that'd be gross. Um, now, we know there's some witnesses. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the story. But Jesus touches him. He spits on his eyes. He wipes it off. Do you see anything? And the man says, I see people, but they kind of look like trees walking around. Now, that means we know that he's seen clearly before because he knows the difference. But he knows what a person should look like. They shouldn't look like a tree. But Jesus had to touch him again. Now, I don't think it's because Jesus wasn't capable in one fell swoop. I think it's so that we see that sometimes we need a second touch as well. Then Jesus, um, Peter confesses Christ and, and Jesus says great things about him. And then later, Jesus, just, soon, just verses later, um, he tells him he's going to die and Peter rebukes Jesus. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. All that took place right outside of this cave on this rock uh, in, in uh, Caesarea Philippi, which is about, I'm guessing about here to Okemos away. And so they're in the, but this, this, so that you know that this, this cave and this rock are known as the gates of hell. So when Jesus says the gates of hell cannot prevail, that's where he's talking about. Because the Jewish people believed that the hub of paganness, the hub of the devil's, um, where the demons came from was this cave called, uh, called the gates of hell. And so then they go from there after this interchange with Peter and they go up to a mountain and Moses Jesus has this transformation, this transfiguration, and Moses and Elijah show up, and the disciples get it. They're like, oh, we're not wrong in thinking he's a big deal, and that Moses is the deliverer, Elijah is the greatest prophet, Elijah's the one that has to come before the Messiah, and so all this stuff, and Peter gets it, and he kind of goes, hey, it's really good that we're here, let's build an altar for each of you, and then almost immediately after that, the disciples who just had a, a, an experience with God and with Moses and with Elijah, they come across a, a boy possessed by an evil spirit and they can't get rid of it. And so Jesus comes in and he talks to his father. Now remember, we just heard about a man who, who, who could see but couldn't see, so he needed a second touch. And then we see this. The, the disciples can't cast out the demon and Jesus comes up 
how long has he been this way? What's wrong with him? And, and, and Jesus, and he tells him that, he, like, he throws him into the fire. He, he, he throws him into the water to drown him, gnashing of teeth, tearing of clothes. He just throws him onto the ground in fits and seizures. And Jesus goes, what do you want me to do? He goes, if you can, I want you to make him better. And Jesus says, everything is possible for him who believes. And then this man, in all honesty, says, I believe but help my unbelief. I get it, but I don't get it. I believe, but I don't believe. And then we get to our story. So before we get to, before, before I read it, I just want to give you this thought. As they say in Guam, I'm a big fan of Guaminian idioms. As they say in Guam, do not salute with a hat that doesn't belong to you. If a private is wearing a colonel's hat and people start snapping to attention, he's acting as if he has authority that he does not have. And I want you to know that the disciples get it but don't get it. They believe that they don't believe. They see but they do not see clearly. And they start behaving as if they're a bigger deal than they are. They start saluting with a hat that doesn't belong to them. It reads like this. They came to Capernaum, that's back from Caesarea Philippi. And remember, they walked all the way. So if you walked from here to Okemos, plenty of time to talk, right? If you drove, still plenty of time to talk. But it's a long walk. They made it back to their home turf. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about, along the, or about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. So I picture a bunch of Dutch people sitting in a consistory meeting and the pastor or the vice chair looks up and says, who would like to close us in prayer? Everybody looks at their knees. If I make eye contact, I'm in trouble. Or if I, I mean, I mean, I get the honor of praying. Or when my dad said to us, the three, uh, three boys, we had a fourth, but he was young. Who tore the wallpaper in the dining room? Well, and he sent us upstairs to figure it out. Well, big brother didn't do it. I know I didn't do it. So Troy did it, even though he didn't. Because we're going to pass on the blame. We're gonna, there's this pecking order, right? So Jesus, he heard him the whole time. And I just want to paint the picture for a minute. I'm making all of this up. Because two of the most prominent disciples are John and Peter, I'm going to use them as examples. So I, I've been to South Manitou Island with cadets back in the day, and we, there's a trail that kind of cuts the island in half, and you can go across the trail and walk, walk around half the island, and we took all these, um, the, these elementary school kids on this walk. And there's those of us that are lazy, although we say we're just caring about other people. We'll, we'll, we'll hold, we'll, we'll kind of take up the rear. We'll cover the six in case so no one gets lost, right? And so I'm one of those. I'm back there. My son starts off with me. But over time, he gets kind of sick of talking to me. And so he decides to run up with his buddies and then run up with his buddies. And then, then when you're crossing a creek or, or you come to a, a, a trailhead where you need to change, everyone kind of stops and waits and you have lunch together. That kind of, that's kind of the picture I have of Jesus with his disciples. That some are waiting back and Peter, of course, because he's Peter, he's up front with Jesus. And they're walking along and Jesus is sharing wisdom as Jesus does. And I can just see Peter after a couple of hours. I don't think he's like, I don't think he's like my brother-in-law who's when, when he's on the phone with you, he says, I'm... I don't want to talk to you anymore. Boom. He doesn't say, well, I'll let you go. He just, boom, I'm done. 
Okay, I know some other parishioners are a little bit like that. Okay, then boom. Um, I, don't think, I don't think that Peter was like that, but I can see him walking along with Jesus. He's getting the wisdom and the disciples are kind of spread out, maybe over a quarter mile. And so Peter decides, okay, Jesus just shared a bunch of stuff with me. So I'm gonna just slow down a little bit, hang out with Andrew for a while. Andrew, hey, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus just shared this with me. I wanna share it with you. But really he shared it with me. Right. And so he's kind of bragging a little bit. And then he decides that he's going to make sure all the other disciples know what Jesus taught him. But John, who's a little bit more humble, he's in the back and he starts working his way up and he's kind of seeing what Peter's doing. And I can see him kind of come up to Andrew and go, get a load of that guy. Who does he think he is? Now, these are just men. They get petty. They get egotistical. They get all that stuff. I can just see him. Get a load of that guy. Who does he think? He think he's better than us. And then that, and then that thing over a course of, of a day or more, it just kind of builds. And all the while Jesus knows that's the conversation they're having. And oh, I would not have wanted to be in that room. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, I can just say, is this dad on vacation? Like, hey, it's my vacation too. Chill. Sits him down. They're going to get a talking to. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child and had him stand among them, taking him in his arms. And he said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now, there's so much in that little passage right there. But I'm just, I just want you to know that we, there's a wonderful sentiment in this that as Western civilization Christians, we see, oh, he loves children. And he does, but the little sentiment we get is wrong. I mean, my, my, my granddaughter, Lucy, is the smartest, most beautiful, bluest eyes I've ever seen. She, she is the most incredible, on the face of the planet, she's the greatest 12-week-old little girl. And I'm pretty, she's smiling now, she's giggling, and I'm pretty sure that in a week she'll be speaking in whole sentences. And she's going to be better than her mom, she's going to be better than her grandma, she's going to be better than all of us, because that's how we see our children. We're willing to sacrifice for them. It's that old uh, Allentown song by Billy Joel that, you know, every man wants as least a good a shot as his old man got. We want to see our children. We're here and we want to see them do a little bit better than we did. We want to see them do a little bit better. And that's a good thing. I think that's how God looks at us. I want to prosper you, not to harm you. But that is not how first century Middle Eastern Jews saw their children. Most of them didn't live past age five. And they were more like me growing up in the South. Um, they were supposed to be seen and not heard. I know that I got a switch to my Heine when I didn't say yes, ma'am, one time to my second grade teacher. I just said yes. Got in trouble. You're not, you're, there are certain things you're supposed to do. And you, and back then in the first century, you had no rights. You wouldn't, if something went wrong in your family, you didn't get a court appointed advocate. You don't have someone standing up for kids. If your teacher finds you doing something wrong, you're wrong, not the teacher. It was a different world. They did not, their children had no status. They were completely dependent on the standing, status, and goodwill of their father. And if their father lost his business or lost his good name, all the family lost theirs as well. So when Jesus is saying, if you don't welcome a little one, then you don't welcome me. He's saying, the least of the least of these should get your utmost respect. The other thing he says in here that we might miss is if you welcome them, you welcome me, but you don't really welcome me. You welcome the one who sent me. You got to, you got to see here that Jesus never does anything to take glory from the father. 
And the Spirit never does anything to take glory from the Son or the Father. And the Father never does anything to take glory from the Son or the Spirit. There's no competition in the, between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are mutually submissive, always looking to lift the other up and to glorify the other. That is something else that he's saying here. And we'll get more into that in just a moment. And then I love this. John is usually the kind of mature disciple, at least how he portrays it in the gospel, according to John. He's the one that Jesus loved. But, but he gets a little petty here, too. Think about it. When, when, when uh, Adam found out that he was naked because he sinned, and God came walking to the garden and go, who told you you were naked? Well, that woman you gave me did this. To he takes the attention of God, and he doesn't like it, so he tries to push it off on someone else. Peter does the same thing in the end of the Gospel of John when he's taking a walk, and Jesus is letting Peter know what's going to happen to him, and he goes, well, whoa, 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 what about John? And Jesus says to him, if I choose to let him live until I remain, what's that to you? See, sometimes when the focus is on us, we don't want it. We don't like it. We don't want God's gaze because we don't like what he's saying. And so John kind of uses a little distraction technique. He's like, yeah, we didn't do right on that conversation on the road, but, but we did right here. Teacher, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he's not one of us. <laughs> and Jesus goes, don't stop him. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not against us is for us. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. I get, I get a little concerned about that one because it sounds like if I, just, if I just give Pastor Chris a cup of cold water because he's a Christian, that I'm saved. And that kind of is what he's saying. But he's telling them, he knows. Jesus is, it's, it's not deathbed stuff, but he knows that his time on earth in blood and in, in flesh is coming to an end. And he wants his disciples to get it. They believe, but they don't believe. They see, but they don't see. They, 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 they're there, but they're not there. They understand, but they don't understand. They see through a mirror dimly. They don't see clearly. He, they still need what Jesus has to show them. He wants to show them that you can't be against one another if you're going to be for me. And he's saying, it's going to get ugly for you. Some of these men are going to be boiled in oil. Some of, one of these men is going to be crucified upside down because they will not deny Christ. And he's saying, if you've got anything, you've got to have each other. You've got to be for one another. Not against one another. And this whole idea of the pecking order, like I'm going to be a little bit bigger deal than you, and I'm going to be a little bit bigger deal than you, that's not for the other, that's for self. And there's nothing in Scripture that says that we, that should be our attitude. Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but took on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. What did Jesus say? The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. And if his people, he claimed to be divine when he called his first disciples. When he said, come follow me, he didn't say, come follow me. Come follow after me as I follow after God. He said, come follow me. I'll, make, I'll change your lives. I am God. Pastor Josh told about this a couple of weeks ago when, when he was walking on the water and he was about to pass them by, reminiscent of God passing by Moses and Jesus. And they got scared and Jesus says, take courage, I am. Him. He claims the name of God. He wants them to see that God wants us to give ourselves to one another. He wants us to be for one another, not against. And then he goes on. They, they tried to distract him with this whole, um, this whole uh, guy casting out demons 
not one of us, but Jesus is not going to be delayed. He answers it, but he comes right back to the main thing. If, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to, ha- to, to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around his neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter the uh, life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire does not quench. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? And I'm going to correct a translation here, nothing against the translators, but almost all theologians believe that they mistranslated the preposition because these prepositions mean in, for, with, uh, among. They're all the same word. And they just got a little off here. But it, this, this reads literally, have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. So a couple of things here. Easy thing for a preacher to say is, I don't see a whole lot of one-eyed, one-armed, and one-foot Christians walking around, so you ain't taking God's view of sin serious. He is being hyperbolic. I have a high view of the authority of Scripture, very high view. And this is one of those times Jesus was not being literal. He does not really mean, and he, and he told us that last week. He goes, it's not your, your hand doesn't cause you to sin. Your eye doesn't cause you to sin. Your foot doesn't cause you to sin. He's, he is saying, though, I'm not kidding. It's our heart that causes us to sin. That's where evil wells up. That's where selfishness comes in instead of selflessness. That's where we start looking about to, to, to consider our own needs over others instead of other people's needs over ours. Paul got it right when he said, have, have no, be, no selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is very much akin to Jesus saying, before you pick the speck out of someone else's eye. See the flaw in another. Wonder to yourself, get a load of that guy. You pick the boulder out of your own eye. And I wanna wanna cause you to look at something else too. And if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better to to be thrown in the lake with a millstone tied around your neck. See, Jesus is always more concerned about the fragility of the faith of those least than about the fragility of the egos of those who think there's something special. And when he says, you'll be salted with fire, that's from Ezekiel, there's fire both preserves, and it does. It preser- I mean, we don't think of it as something that preserves, but it does, if, if it burns a forest, the forest comes back better than it was before because it takes off all that underbrush. It actually does good for the forest. And salt preserves and purifies. So as fire preserves and purifies, so salt preserves and purifies. And he's saying, folks, guys, it's going to get ugly. It's how they heard it. It's not how we read it. It's going to get ugly. And you've only got each other. But if you stand firm, if you stay, if you remember whose you are, if you, if you act like me, if you behave like I've commanded you to behave, if you love me, you'll obey what I commands. If you obey what I commands, you love me. Then it will purify you. It will make you even more available for eternal life. But then he says, look, if, if, if salt with no saltiness isn't salt at all. If you're a Christian and you don't behave the way Christ would have you behave, then you're not really a Christian. I don't like that. 
And there better be salt among you. Live at peace with one another. You think Christ wants his church to be in competition with one another? You think Christ wants one Christian looking at another person who's also an image bearer of God and thinking that they're better? Do you know that God has a much higher calling for you than for you to be a big deal? Anyone that becomes a big deal has a lower calling because Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Most High God, and he came to serve, not to be served. He came to give of himself. You know that we're going to celebrate communion in just a moment, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a reminder that it's a way by which God gives us grace. But do you know that right before he celebrated the very first communion, you remember what he did? He washed the feet of his disciples, even the one who would betray him. He was for them, not against them. If we look at the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, I'll read it, but I'm going to concentrate on one word at the end. Love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It's not proud. Not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Always trusts. You can't be suspicious of another and trust at the same time. And this isn't an accusation. It's just what the disciples were doing. I can see that petty little argument. Like, no, I'm better than you because I've seen what you've done. He trusts me with more than he trusts with you. I walked on the water. You didn't. Yeah, but I'm the one he loves. So we start, and then we start looking for reasons the other's wrong and for the reasons that we're right. So we start self-serving. Instead of not being self-seeking. God wants you and me, as he did them, to be for one another. And remember that Jesus was accused. He was suspected. He was murdered. He was betrayed. So no matter what happens to you or me, whether we're betrayed, whether we're accused, whether we're suspected, whether someone looks out for their own interests over ours, our response, because they're a child of God, our response has got to be for them, even if they're against us. That's why this, Pastor Chris, when he reads the words of institution, he talks about the introduction and the invitation. You will hear words that this is a feast of communion. It's other things too, but communion is one of the three. And you know that that's not just communion with God, but that's communion with one another. How dare I take communion thinking I'm a big deal? So when I pray, when I ask God to give us the courage to look in our own hearts and ask ourselves if we've got that attitude of, get a load of that guy. And if we do, that should be a, a, an indicator that you're not for someone 
you're for yourself. And I pray that you have the courage to confess it, which is telling God what he already knows, repent of it, so that when you receive communion, it's grace to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you were for us. We even sing songs like, if God is for us, who can be against us? Thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those of us who are in you. And Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to treat others that are in you and others that don't yet know that you love them as if there is, they are not condemned in our eyes either. I pray that you give us the courage to imitate you in all that we do as a much-loved child imitates his father. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive this sacrament of communion, search us, show us, because you know us. In Jesus' name, for his sake and for his glory, amen.